0: This is a CSIS podcast series conducted by the Technology and Public Policy Program, where experts are interviewed on key issues relating to cybersecurity. We're speaking with John Nagengast, Executive Director for Strategic Initiatives with AT&T Government Solutions. Mr. Nagengast, thank you for your time.
1: Uh, glad to be here, Clara.
0: Great. Um, so, just to start off, uh, where do you think uh, the U.S. should draw cyber red lines?
1: Okay, well, uh, you know, that's an interesting question, and uh, I don't think there's a simple answer to that. I could start with uh, talking about from an AT&T perspective, which is kind of the, you know, the the, day-to-day life involves AT&T, and, uh, you know, we operate one of the largest global network infrastructures in the world. We saw many, many customers around the world, large enterprises, small business, uh, consumers, mobility, Uh, I think we've estimated we have several billion devices, uh, you know, connected to our network backbone in one way or another. But, you know, the the primary thing for us is to be able to uh, operate and continue to provide service to our customers uh, and I always get the question of, you know, does at and how many uh, cyber attacks does at and see in a day? And uh, the answer is we see, you know, lots and lots of attacks. I don't even want to attempt to quantize it anymore. We start out with uh, literally millions of cyber events. Uh, we, we link those together into uh, uh, what we actually call cases. And we typically see over uh, 100 to 200 cybersecurity cases a day. Uh, which may be malware, which may be uh, you know a bad website, maybe you know a whole bunch of different things. Uh, but the, the main thing for us is to be able to maintain service to our customers, our enterprise customers, large businesses, their global operations. Uh, they want their network services to be reliable, and they want them to be uh, secure in the context of always being there. So, so that's what it, uh, the, the thing for us is keeping the service available to our customers on a continuing basis without interruption. Now of course there's physical issues uh, associated with operating a global network uh, and we deal with those. We have lots of automation and lots of investment made in building a resilient network. Uh, cybersecurity is a little more amorphous in that sense in that uh, you never know, uh, you, you know, you, you have a dea- history of dealing with physical events, thunderstorms, cable cuts, uh, you know, all, all the different kinds of things we've, we've experienced over the last hundred years.
0: Right. Cyber is
1: a little bit different. You don't always have a zero, uh, a uh, experience base with the latest zero-day attack. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but the thing that matters to us is, is this going to interrupt service to our customers is it going to cause some disruption that will impact on our business, uh, our business being, the, you know, providing service to our enterprise customers, which then impacts on their business. Right. And uh, we've recently seen over the last year, and this is not unique to AT&T at all, uh, uh, DDoS attacks against the financial infrastructure, which have interrupted their business. So we've worked very hard with, a, with the customer base, with the other carriers and service providers, to be able to provide managed DDoS protection services that keep our customers up and operating in the face of large uh, determined DDoS attacks. The good news is that they've been periodic in nature. They've, uh, it's more of a political statement where they come in for a couple days and then go away or a few hours and go away and everybody builds a, you know, breathes a great sigh of relief when it's over. (laughs) But through that we've been able to sustain service to the customers and and accordingly the banks, the financial institutions, can continue to serve their customers through that process. From a national perspective, you have to start to think about, you know, things that would actually disrupt the the critical infrastructure for some period of time or even perhaps, you know, destroy parts of the critical infrastructure, uh, which could be the power grid and we've always speculated about the possibility of destroying parts of the power grid causing overloads or other conditions that would damage transformers which could take weeks or months uh, to recover from and, you know, result in large, uh, you know, large outages over large geographic areas for some considerable period of time. So that's where you start to think about the red lines where there could be a considerable disruption of our, our operations or, you know, the national operation of the banks, all the critical infrastructures uh, and possible damage along the way. Those are the kinds of red lines that, uh, you know, we typically think about and talk about from a national perspective. If somebody's out to shut down power in the United States or I always use the case of uh, I'll turn off the computers and uh, in Oklahoma that control all the gas pumps in the country, and <laughs> nobody would be able to pump gas for three days. I mean, that would be a significant national disruption. Right. And that really qualifies as a as a uh, you know national red line kind of issue. Where number one, we'd want to know where is this coming from, who, and what was the cause of that, and then what what can we do to recover, and what can we do to deter the uh, attacker from ever trying to doing that again. And that's, of course, we get into discussions of national policy uh, and response options in, uh, you know, almost in a, in a wartime status. If somebody's trying to do that kind of damage to us, uh, that comes pretty close to being an act of war, even though it's uh, in, in cyberspace.
0: Right, so you're, you're talking about a significant disruption to the critical infrastructure where the public would have kind of this outrage or this outcry that would bring it to national attention and really kind of help us to create those red lines.
1: That's right, that's right.
0: Okay, very cool. Okay, so how can the government play a role in encouraging the private sector to adapt cyber defenses?
1: Yeah, well, I think the, f- the first role the government can play is by uh, doing a more expansive job of sharing threat information, threat warning information. What are the potential, uh, you know, things that could happen out in cyberspace? Uh, you know, if the government has any advanced knowledge through uh, intelligence collection or other, other uh, methods uh, that are all our national means, perhaps, uh, they need to be able to share that uh, on a more broad basis with the critical infrastructure operators in the private sector, with the carriers and service providers, so that we can better understand the risks. I always say, uh, you know, the hardest part if you're a critical infrastructure operator and you're running a, a power grid or you're running a water supply system or you're running a chemical plant, uh, understanding you know you, you know you know the business that you're in. You know how to run a chemical plant, presumably. But what you don't understand typically is what is the risk from a cyber event to your infrastructure, to your operations, uh, most of which or all of which today are going to be controlled by information technology and typically that's going to be information technology that's hooked to the Internet in one way or another. And, uh, you know, we, we see a startling lack of Understanding of that, which is you know, it's it's startling, but it's understandable because if I'm in the business of operating a chemical plant, that's what I know how to do, and you know, going from that you know knowledge base and for business focus, that's the business I'm in. I'm not in the business of making secu- making sure my information technology is robust and secure. That that's that's something I need to be involved in, but it's not my primary reason for being. So right. The more the government can help the critical infrastructure operators understand the risk, understand what the threats are that are out there, understand the vulnerabilities that are in the industrial control systems that are that are now running most of the critical infrastructure operations in one way or another, particularly, and they are richly connected to the Internet these days. Uh, you've got mobile sensors. You know, you talk about the Internet of Things that's coming where devices are using wireless communications. Uh, vending machine is starting to run low on pretzels, so they send back a wireless signal to the to the warehouse saying, hey, I need more pretzels in my uh, bin number three. And an hour later, a guy pulls up with a truck with the pretzels. Uh, That raises huge implications for the the future vulnerability of all, and I'm not saying, uh, you know, vending machines and pretzels are critical, but if you extrapolate that to just about everything we touch in our daily lives and depend upon, uh, that's where the, uh, the vulnerability space is, and that's where we need to better understand the threats as they relate to those vulnerabilities. And then that encourages, once I think, once critical infrastructure operators Start to understand the risk and the potential to their business, then they will be much, uh, you know, much more inclined to take protective measures. And, you know, there's lots of consultation uh, and lots of technology that's available in the private sector to help you become more robust and more secure, but the motivation needs to come uh, basically on the business interests of that critical infrastructure operator, and that's where I think the government can